Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast, the Sports Illustrated cover story star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. And this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast. It's version 252, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we will dazzle and entertain you. The story behind the story on the cover of Sports Illustrated, written by somebody who happens to host this podcast. We will get into that. It's not me, by the way. <laughs> We've also got a conversation. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's Whispers from the Star Day. We will have the latest from Cowboys OTAs and a conversation with the founder, the owner, the guy who started Bruce Biltong. We've had him on the podcast before, and I wanted to bring him back because I really enjoyed the conversation we had. Man, that was probably three months ago, maybe longer than that by now. Longer, and, I think. Yeah, there were some other things I wanted to get into with him, not just about Bill Tong, but his personality, and, and he's got some crazy stories from when he was growing up playing rugby and whatnot in South Africa that I thought would be fun, so he's going to join us. But before we start any of that, of course, Greening Law, the reminder each and every podcast, because you never know when you're going to need them. You really are not. They do all the work behind the scenes for you. When I am telling you that they let you focus on healing and renewal, because you'll get stressed out. Trust me. You're like, well, where am I supposed to go? What doctor is going to work for me? Oh my gosh, can I go here? They handle all that. They just call you and say, hey, actually what happens is, and I'll tell you exactly what happens. They call you and then they might send you a list of places and you say, all right, well, which one do you prefer going to or which one's closer to you? And then they say, we got you. And next thing you know, you get a phone call from that place and they're calling you to schedule the thing, not the other way around. It's fantastic. Greening Law is your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. Dude, that's why all you need to do is pick up the phone, give them a call and say, yo, here's my situation. What do you think? Um, the thing I like about Greening Law, Matt, I'll tell you this, because they've been working on this case for quite a while now. They don't get paid until you get paid. So it doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone, tell them your situation, and see if they bring you on as a client. And if they do, then you never have to worry about how hard they're working for you, how hard they're grinding for you. Who, you know, They're going to handle their business and put you in the best position to get a settlement. That's exactly right, and it's easy. That consultation is free. Whether you've been hurt in a car accident, whether it was malpractice, whether you were injured on the premises of a business, they've represented all types of clients. 
That call's free. 972-934-8900. Call now. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. Oh, Jean-Jacques Taylor, the bucket list. And and really, I mean, that, that's got to be like at the top of the bucket list, right? You have the cover story on Sports Illustrated. Well, I got to tell you, bro. Um, I mean, it's, I've been working on it for a minute. It just dropped today, mm-hmm. obviously. But, uh, you know, it was on my bucket list as a kid because I was a Sports Illustrated fan. I've, I've you know, been an uh, admirer of several guys who work for Sports Illustrated. Some people like Michael Silver. And Austin Murphy have become friends of mine over the years. Uh, my boy Albert Breer is working for him now. Uh, some of my heroes, be it um, Ralph Wiley and some others, have worked for them. And so, you know, it's always a dream, like, oh, God, one day you'd love to work for Sports Illustrated. But you never really, you know, it gets to a point in your career where you go, well, that's kind of past now. And then my career's been fine. It's been great. But that thing's kind of passed. And then, dude, um, I got a call out of the blue. I don't know, a couple months ago, they said, hey, uh, this is Steve. I'm the editor of Sports Illustrated. We want to do a piece on Jackson State, and I've been told that you're the Dion Whisperer. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, I don't know about all that, but we got a good relationship, and if you want a story done, um, I'm the guy who can probably do the best job for you because we've got such a good relationship. And so um, I actually saw Dion the next week, and uh, – I mentioned it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing that. That's good. <laughs> it's great. Well, I mean, it's great exposure for his program, if nothing else. Oh, no, it's, uh, and it's, it's historic. Uh, this, is on, this is, now Jackson State's got an illustrious football history. They got four Hall of Famers. Um, it's Walter Payton's alma mater. I mean, it's, it's a powerful program in, 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 in HBCU football history, but they've never had an SI cover. In fact, to my knowledge, this is only the third. SI cover for an HBCU. One of them was Steve McNair. I remember that one when he was, they thought he might go for the Heisman when he was at Alcorn State. Right. And the other one was Eddie Robinson. I believe when he surpassed or, you know, won the record for the most mm-hmm. games won. Uh, that's it. So this is historic, man. It's, it's cool. And I'll be honest with you, Matt. So I get the assignment. I get the job. It's great. I do the story. It's great. And I'll tell you all about it. And I go through the process of editing and all that. That's great. And so I'm done with it. And I'm cool. And they sent me a copy of the cover probably two weeks ago. I think I sent it to you. Did I not? You did, yeah. I've, I, I saw it when we originally were kind of loosely discussing it. You sent me a, a picture yeah. of it, yeah. Well, see, that shows you that Matt's one of my, one of my trusted friends. Now, I'm not going to say we match one of my best friends because we don't really talk unless we're doing the show. We're well, we like talk so much doing this. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but, we, we talk but, like eight hours a week, I feel like. <laughs> but here's the deal. Now, this, I'm not just saying this because Matt's on the show right now listening. Matt, for all his faults and all his flaws, <laughs> I'm on the reel now. And I, I know this about Matt from listening to him and watching him over the years that we've worked together. This dude is, I didn't have any problem sending it to him because I knew he wouldn't send it anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I got some friends, I was like, man, I wish I could send it to you, but man, that dude would probably send it somewhere else and then it'll be out and I'll ruin it. Uh, so I only sent it to about three or four people. And Matt was one of them because I think Matt's, uh, Matt's all about integrity, so I wasn't really worried about him sending it out. And so that's why I sent it to him. But uh, I got to tell you, bro, this morning, man, I was uh I was looking at I was looking at the story after it dropped 
on Twitter and on Facebook, and I had a bunch of friends commenting on it. And dude, I had a moment. <laughs> and uh, you know, I had a couple of tears dropping. I was trying to figure out what the hell. And uh, I kind of figured out that they were just kind of uh, happy tears from uh, from you know getting something off your bucket list that you didn't that you didn't want and feeling proud of yourself that you know as a member of, of somebody who created his own business because he got tired of getting laying off getting laid off through nothing I was doing only that I made too much money because I was good at my job mm-hmm. and to be able to get something like this literally because somebody told the editor of Sports Illustrated if you want it done and you want it done well the best dude in the country to do it is Jacques Taylor and then they call me and I do it and it come to fruition uh you know I had a moment for about five minutes there bro yeah that's I mean we're talking about the cover of Sports Illustrated man I mean that's that's a a a huge huge deal I think anyway I mean I, I think it's badass Oh, no, it is, man. And so, um, you know, I was real curious about the process. Because like I said, I've known several guys who work for Sports Illustrated over the years. And they've all described it as an editor's magazine, which means, like, put it like this. At the morning news, the morning news has always been more of a writer's place, which is you write it unless it's, you know, grammatically wrong or something. They basically let you keep what you wrote. At an editor's place, it's like, oh, well, you know, we'll make it better for you. Don't worry about it. Just just get it to us and we'll make it better. Well, that's not really how I operate best. Um, writers in the journalism world, I've discovered, and I teach a class at SMU, so I feel confident in saying this, Matt. They're, and I'm going to use a baseball analogy. Most writers are either guys like me who want to throw a complete game. I put every word in there for a reason. Unless you got a compelling reason, leave my words alone. All right. Then there are guys who want to get seven innings and then turn it over to the setup guy and the closer. And then there's some guys who I'm just going to give you five innings, man. And whatever, you know, whatever y'all want to do with it, once you get it, I don't really care all that much. So given that I'm a guy who likes to pitch a complete game, I was really uh, concerned is not the right word. Curious about how this was going to work. Especially when the editor says, hey, I'm going to turn you over to Greg. He's our best editor. I'm like, okay, that means he's really good. Probably means he wants, he brings out his hatchet knife and, and you know, wants to make it all about him. Uh, but that was not the case, man. And I turned the story in. It turned out to be, I don't know how much it turned out. I turned in about 4,000 words, wow. uh, which is a lot. Uh, and it was really supposed to be about 3,200 but when the stuff with Nick Saban went down, they hit me back up. and I had already turned the story in. Uh, when Saban stuff went down, they said, hey, can you write another five to 800 words on this Nick Saban situation? And I was like, cool, I got you. So I did it. But, dude, here's what happens, man. You finish your story and you turn it in. And the first editor, great guy, says, um, his name's Gary. He says, uh, hey, I'm going to look at it. And then I'll hit you back with some questions in a couple of days. And so a couple of days passed and I don't hear from him. And I finally texted him on the third day. I said, man, I'm really good, aren't I? <laughs> he goes, oh, no, we got some questions for you. I just hadn't gotten all of them done yet. Uh, so he sent it back, man. But he only had like, 
I don't know, five or six questions. And they were they were very basic questions. Hey, can you expand on this part just a little bit for some context? And can you do this? And the other stuff was really minor. Um, and then as he's editing it, dude, they have this other person who's literally their job is to fact check every fact in your story. Wow. Yeah, literally, they take every fact and check it so that there's no errors in your story. So they go, hey, we're going to turn you over to Lauren. She's a fact checker. And so we exchange emails and I send it to her and I'm like, boy, I've gone over this. I've checked a lot of facts myself. I've double checked it, da, 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 da. Man, I mean, because you don't want to be embarrassed and somebody turn back like 15 fact questions like, hey, what's up with this? Yeah. Because you're like, what kind of loser am I? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And so I was actually a little nervous. Yeah, nervous is the right word about that. But, dude, she turned it back in. And I was like, this is all you got? I mean, it was like six questions. And they weren't really about facts. They were more like, who told you this? And why did you say that? And I was like, oh, I did the damn thing on that if I got past the fact checker. Now, here's the interesting part, Matt. And I'm going to tell you this because I got a real good friend of mine who talks to me about this all the time. You know, I'm a Capricorn. That means I like to work a lot. But I also have a lot of this Libra in me, in my thought process, which means I can be non-confrontational sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And my friend is like, you got to be more confrontational when, it, when you need to be more confrontational. That doesn't mean yelling and screaming. It just means, hey, I don't think I like that. Let's do this. So they, they edit the story. Not very much changes. But what they did, Matt, was they added like four cliches to my story when they were editing and changing words around. And I was like, you know, I tell my kids in my SMU class, you're forbidden to write cliches. Like I got a list of cliches and I send them the list and say, you get points off if I find any of this in your story because cliches is lazy writing. And so I was reading it, man, and I was like, I know this is SI. I know this is the best editor in the game. They got to get this shit out of my store. <laughs> <laughs> right? Why would they do that? Who knows? That's weird. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's just people. I mean, the, the, what they were trying to do was fine, but the way they did it, I just didn't like it. And so we're talking and we're going over the edits. And he says, okay, I'm done with what I need. You got anything? I go, well, now that you mention it, let me just say this. And I told him this whole thing about my journalism class at SMU. Yeah. I, I, I insist that they take out cliches. I said, y'all done added some cliches to my piece, dog. And I, I you know, we got to get them out. <laughs> and he started laughing. I said, That's awesome. well, I said, here they are right here. Yeah. I said, you know, ran the table in the, in the swack. I said, that's not something I would ever say. When undefeated is, is perfectly fine. Bro. Right. And he started laughing. He said, I got you, man. He says, I'll clean him up for you. I promise. I said, all right. And uh, he did that, and they were done. And so uh, it, it turned out great. And then they sent me a proof to read. And I've probably read that thing 25 times, making sure that it's okay and that, uh, that there's nothing got in. Because last thing you want in a story like that is some big error. And uh, then, man, it was just a matter of waiting. And so uh, last night they sent me a bunch of stuff that said, hey, it's going to drop. They're going to get a mention on Good Morning America tomorrow at 730 or 745, something like that. So 
after that, you can start promoting it and uh, see what happens. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man, because I saw that little clip you put out with it on Good Morning America, and I was just looking at this. So the Eddie Robinson cover dropped in 1985. The Steve, I remember the Steve McNair cover because, and we've talked about this before, but I used to collect Sports Illustrated, and I had it on my wall, and I remember the Steve McNair cover, and that was from like 1994. That's the last one. So, so you've got the cover story for the first HBCU on Sports Illustrated's cover since 1994. Bro, how about that? Is that wild or what? <laughs> and it's you, and there it is. So I don't know. I think it's really cool, man, and, and I can't wait to get a copy of it because that's one that I'm definitely going to put on my wall because I don't keep – you know how it is. Like, I actually got rid of my subscription. Actually, this is the first year I haven't had a subscription since 1993 when my grandparents first started it for me. And it just got to a point where I wasn't using it the same, you know, now with the, the internet and, and just different things, I don't read it, which is weird because now I'm finding myself, you know, when I had a subscription, I could read everything I wanted to online. It didn't matter. Well, now right. since I don't subscribe anymore, it's like, I can't read half the crap that's online that SI puts out. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm going to have to go back and like, I don't need the physical magazines anymore, right. but I want to be able to read the content. No, no, I get you, man. I feel you. It's a, uh, it's for me. It's always a matter of what am what am I canceling and what am I adding? What am and I've got you know we'll go down a rabbit hole because there you're all everybody's trying to screw you in some different way, shape, yeah. form, and so but but I've now figured out that that a lot of people are offering these flash sales, like um, as it relates to Jackson State, like. I subscribe to the uh, Clarion Ledger in Jackson during football season. Yeah. Well, that's nine bucks a month. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you subscribe to three or four or five things, which you need to to do your job adequately, that can be $50, $60 a month. So I just saw a flash sale for, for the Clarion Ledger, which was like $1 for six months. And I was like, you know what? I'm finna jump on that. And I'm kind of looking around for flash sales for all of those, especially during football season where maybe you find, like Fort Worth Star-Telegram, maybe they've got something $4 for four months. Okay, fine. That takes me through football season for four bucks. And if I have to pay one month at $9, okay, great. Yeah. So I got out of for 13 bucks for the six months I needed it. So I've got to be anal retentive and go about it that way. Uh, but shoot, dog, that's kind of what you got to do in this content world where everybody's charging you. And I'm not mad because you got to you got to pay people and you got to create yeah. income. And, yeah. You know, but, it's, but they're trying to charge you and we're trying to find a way to get it at its cheapest cost. Yeah. And that's that's basically where I'm at, too, because I do that. There's a couple of things that I subscribe to specifically during football season. And then as soon as the season is over, I mean, yeah. I cancel it immediately because it adds up in a hurry. And. You know, you, you got to kind of pick and choose. And I've gone more with the athletic now as the one that I subscribe to year round. But I jumped in, I think originally when they were because when the athletic first launched, I got like a three year deal that was crazy good. And now, obviously, having been with it, but I enjoy their stories. I like the fact I personally like that there's no videos. I don't have to click off a gazillion ads and all this stuff. And I'll tell you this, even with the morning news, because I pay for the morning news online to get the sports Man, you try to read an article in the Dallas Morning News, and there's like four videos that pop up. I'm like, dude, I am paying for this. Bro. Like, I don't need these freaking videos. <laughs> it's a never-ending battle, bro. It's insane. I'm like, I, I don't mind. Like, if you're going to charge me, cool, but don't put videos if I've got to pay for it. 
and charge <laughs> like for real like charge me a couple bucks more a month and stop with the damn videos popping up all the time otherwise if you're gonna have seriously you go click like on your phone on an article for the for dallas morning news there's a video that plays at the top and a video that plays at the bottom and you got to click off both of them to see the damn article that you want that you're already paying for i'm like so what what, what are we doing here come on guys come on morning news <laughs> i'm just saying man because like you're talking i do not mind paying for content because i i'm a and i know some people don't get it but to me like if we don't pay for content then actual really good content like stuff that you do will go away and then you're just going to have uh, a bunch of people who aren't as good but they don't have to pay them as much because they're not charging and so they don't have the ad dollars and stuff coming in i mean it all filters down right and and so for me right. i don't mind paying for really good content but no i guess it's man i don't know and then sometimes it's pick and choose. Like I, I like to read the New York, like there's stuff in the New York times that I'll read from time to time. And then I, I'll use up my free articles and I'm like, eh, do I really want to read this article? Is it worth paying the, whatever it is? <laughs> Cause there's a, I mean, everybody's doing that now. And I don't, I don't mind. Like you should, like your content should be good enough where I am compelled to pay whatever it is a month because you're putting out enough regular high quality content that I want to read it. True that, true that. And if you're doing that, then I don't mind. But that's the thing about Sports Illustrated that's interesting. Like a lot of their stuff you can read without subscribing anymore. But every once in a while, man, there'll be an article. I'm like, damn it. Jeez. And I got to figure out how to read it because I don't have my subscription anymore. But I got to get yours. I got to purchase yours so I can put it up on my wall. Oh, good. I appreciate it. I'd love to be on the wall. Yeah, it is. You said you're going to sign it for me. Next time I see you, I'm going to get a signed copy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm going to do something I've I don't think I've ever done a free autograph. Um, what's that? You're going to give a free autograph. <laughs> <laughs> Normally I do charge a dollar or two for that. <laughs> um, um, no, I'm going to um, get Dion and Shadur and uh, Travis to sign it. And nice. what I've said, what I've never done is I've never gotten an autograph from a, from an athlete in the 30 However long I've been doing this, since 1991, I've never asked, gotten an autograph from anybody. Um, and I've never wanted one because I figured if I knew a guy like Emmett or I knew a guy like Michael Irvin or I knew a guy like Troy or I knew a guy like Dion, like really knew them and had their phone number and talked to them all the time, well, why the hell would I want your autograph? I've, I know you. Yeah, very <laughs> You know true. what I mean? Um, and if it was a hero of mine, I just, I was just never an autographed person. Uh, but this, I think is such a cool deal and it's such a, uh, kind of once in a lifetime thing that, um, I'll probably next time I'm there, ask them to sign it. I'll, if they want me to sign theirs, I will, uh, just, you know, cause yeah, you got the yeah. three or four people who are on it and then I'll go frame it and put it up in the crib. And I've already decided that you know the cool thing about SI because I got one with Zeke on it is you can buy their their covers, and uh, I will probably buy a cover and uh, not probably I will buy a cover, and uh, one for myself and I probably send one to my dad for Father's Day. Yeah, I think that I, it, I don't think my dad listens to the podcast, so well, he won't know. if he does, then sorry if, that we ruined the surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah man that's a really cool deal and i'm glad glad that happened for you that's 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 something that's really awesome it really is no i appreciate it bro it's uh 
it's it's mind blowing. I've been I've been geeked for a couple of weeks, and then um, you know I'm also excited because anytime you do something high profile like that, especially because I own my own business, you know it's um, usually there's a trickle down effect, and there's some other stuff that comes your way. Yeah, which um, is great all the way right. around. All right, so as we continue here, it is time. I know many of you look forward to this. That information you cannot see, hear, or read anywhere else, but right here on the Jam Session Podcast, it is Jean-Jacques Taylor and Whispers from the Star. Okay, dog, let me, let me start off by this. This may be one of the lowest key whispers of all time. It's chock full of nuggets, very few of which pertain to football. And here's what I'm talking about, Matt. You got to remember, dog, I ain't been in a locker room in two years yeah. because of COVID. Like, literally, I have not been in a locker room for two years because of COVID. So what does that mean, Matt? You like, haven't literally. really talked to anybody. <laughs> not just that, dog. I'm talking, like, seriously, I'm like, I've never even met Trayvon Diggs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, I've never the, the, met the CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, sure. I've never met Michael Parsons. I've never met these. These guys have no idea that I was the baddest motherfucker. Ooh, I'm sorry. I should say <laughs> that, that I covered the team like none other for years. Yeah. They all think Clarence E. Hill is that guy. Oh, and he's not. No. I am. So, dog, <laughs> I've done this. Last week I did a little bit. So I'm going around the locker room introducing myself to people saying, hey, man, what's up? I ain't been out here because of COVID. But don't forget, dog, I am that guy. And you'll soon find out why I am. So based on that, we're not talking a lot of football. I'm getting to know guys. So my first stop, though, was at an old friend, Tyron Smith. Because, oh, check this out, dog. Today was actually a hard day to get a bunch of stuff anyway. I don't know if you knew this, man, because I, I feel embarrassed that I didn't know this until today. Because the players were doing their media stuff today, and you're like, well, what is their media stuff? Today, they dressed up in full uniforms after practice, and they made, what they do is they take the headshots that, they, that you see during the season. They took those today. All that stuff about Happy Thanksgiving from Zeke that they show on Thanksgiving Day. They shot all of that stuff today. Really? What it, yeah, whatever they use in Christmas about Merry Christmas from Michael Parsons, from me, from me to you and yours, they shooting all of that today, man. So those guys were putting on their uniforms and stuff after, uh, after practice and going to shoot all that stuff. I, I had no idea they did that in this. I thought they did See? it in the week leading up to the game. Ha-ha! <laughs> and that, my friends, is why you need to listen to the Jam Session Podcast and Whispers from the Star, because that's when you get that news you can't see here we get anywhere but here on the Jam Session Podcast. No matter what those other fakers, we know who they are, Mike Fisher, no matter what those other fakers tell you. <laughs> now, as I was talking to Tyron Smith, like, I saw them gingerly rubbing his back during practice today. He called the trainer over to help him. But, dog, we in June. I, I ain't trying to ask Tyron about his back in June. I did, however, ask him about his kids. He's got a son who he, I think he told me he was eight, who's already up to his shoulder, bro. And he's got a two-year-old daughter who's at his waist. That dude is every bit of 6'6", 315 with nobody fat. Imagine what his son is going to be like, man. Dude. A mighty behemoth. Mighty bohemian so maybe on another day i'll ask him about his back and why he had to train over to look at it but today i was only interested in talking to him about his kids low key thursday afternoon and now let me tell you about the conversation i had with this guy 
That's when you're supposed to hit the swoosh. Okay. Yes, did you hear that? Yeah, that's right. what I'm talking right. about. Good, good. So then I went and talked to the. Okay. I'm going to tell you who I talked to. I didn't really talk to this guy next, but it makes sense if I talk to him next. I talked to the guy with the prettiest teeth on the team. Do y'all know who that is? Who got the prettiest teeth on the team, Matt? God, I have no idea. I would think Dak Prescott. Nah, dog. CeeDee Lamb got the prettiest teeth on the team. The prettiest man. teeth is CeeDee Lamb? CeeDee Lamb got whoever did his teeth. That dude is the lick. <laughs> whoever did his teeth. Them things are perfect. Okay. So I walked up to him and I go, hey, man, Jacques Taylor. Um, I haven't. I, I, I've been out the locker room a couple years because of COVID. I said, last time I saw you, you were getting out of an orange Lamborghini at a mutual friend's house. And I told him who he said, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. I said, remember you were getting out the car, y'all were headed somewhere? I said, dog, he told me that was the only orange Lambo, because it's, it's not a two-seater, it's more like an SUV-looking car. Huh. He said, I said, my boy said that's the only one in America. He said, it is. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. I said, dog, real talk. I was in Vegas for a conference in April or I think it, I said, I think it was April. And I was walking around this mall. Orange is my favorite color. I saw that car in the mall. Are you sure that's the only one? He goes, I got this one from Atlanta. I said, dog, if this is the only one, they might as, you know, maybe they shipped it from Vegas to Atlanta and it's yours. He said, you know what? I'm going to call my people because that's crazy if you saw this car in Vegas. <laughs> that's awesome. I said, dude, I'm telling you, orange is my favorite color. So I was drawn to it. And I looked at it. I said, because I think I sent my dude a picture of it saying, would you want this orange Lambo? And so we talked about the Lambo, man. And then um, I said, hey, it's good to see you. I said, uh, I'll be talking to you again. He said, well, you're an old guy. I said, I know. He said, but no, no, no. He said, I remember you because you're an old guy, but I think everybody's old because I'm the youngest dude on team. And so I said, all right, keep that in mind. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about being number one receiver because I got a couple questions about what that's like. But we're going to save those for a little, little further down the road. And that was my Lambo conversation with CeeDee Lamb, who has a one-of-a-kind Lambo in America, we think. We think. <laughs> yeah. Now, really the guy I talked to after Tyron Smith, and he was incredibly polite, Trayvon Diggs. Now, I wasn't sure if he was polite because, you know, he was just observing, and clearly he hadn't seen me, but it was like, well, damn, Tyron is talking to this guy like they're old friends. And then Dak walked by. I'll tell you what I told Dak when he walked by a little bit later. And Dak was talking to me like, Clearly, he, he knows Dak, so he must be okay. All these other guys acting like they know him. And so I told Trayvon, I said, hey, man, I'm sorry I missed you the last couple of years when you were doing these big things last year. And he started smiling. I said, but you know, dog, I'm a Buckeye, so I want you to know, I think, I don't know if we would have beat y'all, but it would have been a lot tougher game if y'all hadn't broke our running back shoulder on the first play of the game two years ago in the national championship semifinals. Oh, was that the national championship game? That was the national championship game. And he started laughing. He said, well, you know, that's part of the game. I said, hey, man, we weren't scared of y'all. Because last time we saw Nick say, we put 600 yards on his ass. <laughs> and Zeke ran for like 200, dog. 85 yards through the heart of the South. I said, so we ain't give a damn about your deep. We was ready, dog. I said, I tell the truth now. There were times we were playing Clemson in the playoffs, and I was like, Man, we ain't ready. Clemson finna run through us. I said, 
Because that's just how I keep it real, man. I said, but when we played them, before we played y'all, I like, Brent Clemson, on. we finna beat they ass. Because we should have beat they ass the year before. So I, ain't, I wasn't worried about Clemson. I was worried about could we stand up with y'all. But the way we beat Clemson, I was like, bring on Bama. We don't give a damn. I said, but then y'all heard I running back on the second play of the game, dog. And it was kind of a wrap after that. So you lucky that uh, that y'all won that game. Otherwise, dog, you'd have some sad singing and some slow walking to talk about. But that's not the case. Now, he's laughing the whole time I'm telling him this. I said, so we're going to talk about your interceptions and biting on double moves and all that stuff later on, man. I just wanted to introduce myself and tell you that I'm a Buckeye and then we don't give a fuck about Alabama football. <laughs> wow. Awesome. <laughs> Now some of y'all are like, you didn't really say that, <laughs> but I'm trying to. You but, did. but I'm trying to tell y'all the way you build bonds with players is what I just said. It's not really all the X and O football stuff. It's showing them that you're a person and a human and a guy with feelings yeah. and just a regular guy, and that you're not putting them up on some crazy pedestal just because they play football. Then I went over there to Michael Parsons. He who won. Now, this is Michael Parsons. This is why you got to love Michael Parsons, man. That dude is uber competitive. Did you read about the home run derby they had the other day? I did, yeah. He hit one out of the park. Literally. Out of the stadium. Literally. Out of Dr. Pepper Stadium. That's insane. Now, what people didn't know is he played baseball up until he got to high school. So, he understands that. And, obviously, now he's a lot bigger, stronger, blah, blah, blah. So we're talking to him today. It was me and Clarence and Jose Gant, the uh, television photographer from Channel 8. He's salty, dog, about the home run derby. Because I can't remember who they gave the who they said won because they raised. He's like, I don't know how anybody else could win. I hit more homers. I hit more balls. How did I not win? He wants to win the home run derby, man. He's salty because he didn't get it. And so we talked about that for a few minutes. He pledged not to let anybody use his bat next year. Uh, he said, I was, I was too kind and too generous this year. I'm not doing that anymore. It's, it's my bat. Everybody needs to go buy their own bat. Uh, so once those other guys left, I said, hey, man, I just want to introduce myself. And, you know, this is, comes when you go to a big-time football program. Hey, I'm Jacques Taylor, man. I just want you to know, no hard feelings. I'm a Buckeye, baby. And so we're going to be talking plenty of shit during football season. And he starts laughing. He says, I ain't got nothing to say till we get a new quarterback. <laughs> and I was wow, like, what you right. talking about, man? What you talking right. about? He's like, I want to get into it, but I just know we need a different quarterback at, uh, at State. I said, oh, come on, man, tell me. He said, hey, man, I, I don't want to talk about it. We just need another quarterback. I'm not talking about them until we get another quarterback. <clears throat> I said, okay, I guess we'll just keep whipping your ass until then. And then he shot me a look. I said, okay, I'm just playing, man. And then I turned around. <laughs> and then I turned around and left with a laugh, and he smiled, and, and, and we ended that. Uh, but again, man, we're going to have some more deep, in-depth football conversations at a later date. It's June. They working hard, but it ain't really about so much football right now. It's all about building relationships so that when football season comes, I can really bring you the mm-hmm. insight and kind of information that y'all have been accustomed to over the years. Now, I forget how to say this dude's name, bro. Odigizua. Is that how you say it? Yep, O.C. Odigizua. Yeah. Well, I talked to him for a few minutes today, too. Now, here's... I talked to him about a little bit of football stuff, because he went to UCLA and really much talked about their football program. 
And the only interesting thing that came out of that conversation is he was saying there's not a lot of difference between the one techniques and the three techniques in terms of who plays with who and how they go. <clears throat> because they have similar body types, even though the one techniques like the guy from Arkansas they just drafted and Carlos uh, Watkins weigh, you know, right. you know, 15, 20 pounds more. So what he was saying is when he gets paired with Neville or Tristan, it doesn't matter whether he's playing the one or the three. They're kind of interchangeable. But if he's playing with one of those other guys, then he'll always play the three. Uh, but the key thing is with those six, seven, eight defensive linemen, <clears throat> they feel very comfortable rotating them all in and out of the game because they're basically kind of all the same player. So it was a very brief conversation with him. But we did end on a funny note, bro. This has happened to me twice in the last week. And so I'm going to have to come up with something else. So when we're leaving, I dap him up. I said, I just want to tell you, I'm Jacques, so you get it. Like Jacques Cousteau. And he said, mm-hmm. Jacques Cousteau. I've heard that name. Who is that? <laughs> Dude, they're not going to know who that is. And I feel like I was, I was talking to somebody who was helping me at the bank the other day. I said, Jacques, like Jacques Cousteau. I'm sorry. I don't. And this was a young lady. She's probably early 20s. She's like, who is that? I, I've never heard of him. And I was just like, am I that old or are you just dumb? The dude died and in I, 1997, man. And then I thought, I'm just that old. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I did have to reflect, and then I do what I always do. I send my dude a text. I say, hey, man, you know who Jacques Cousteau is? 30 seconds later, no. I said, okay. Google him. Uh, so anyway, uh, Osu was like, and then, so I told him, I said, you know, marine biologist. He goes, something's named after him. I can't think of what it is, but something is named after him. I got to look it up and find out. <clears throat> and I said, okay, dog, but now you know who I am because you'll never forget this conversation. And he started yeah. laughing. He said, you're right, Jacques. And then I said, all right, dog, I'll holler at you. And with that, <laughs> I bounced out the locker room, and you'll find this funny. I was walking out with a PR intern. And White Joe Trahan, I call him White Joe Trahan because yeah. Black Joe Trahan is on the Channel 8 News Director. Mm-hmm. See, it's not a racist thing. One is a White Joe, and the other is a Black Joe. And he looks at me and goes, he asks the intern, he goes, is he the last one in the locker room? I said, dog, you already know. I'm picking up every last crumb. He said, I know you've been like that forever. I said, that's why I am that 12-letter cuss word, bro. And that, my friends, is whispers from the start of the news. You can't see here we get anywhere but the Jam Session Podcast, Fridays during the season. All right, now, we've had him on the podcast before. We had a great conversation, so much so, and we got such a, a lot of really great feedback from you guys. I wanted to have him on again. He's the owner, the founder, the guy that is responsible for, for Brew's Biltong. Steve Brew Isaacs is joining us. What's up, man? How's it going, guys? It is going fantastic. And, and, you know, we were talking a little bit, and I know last time Jacques wasn't able to join us, and this is kind of your first conversation with him. But before we get into some of the stuff I wanted to talk about, I had a couple of questions. First off, like just again, for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with, with Bill Tong or, or may have not heard us talking about it, and it, describe it in your own words. How do you describe Bill Tong when you're talking about it to your friends? So, I mean, the first thing is that, I, you know, it's air-dried beef as opposed to a lot of jerky is, is either smoked or cooked. And so the, the typical sort of most common way that biltong is made is sort of a big sort of piece of meat is sort of uh, 
seasoned with salt and sort of uh, salt and spices and vinegar. You know, use vinegar and you sort of uh, you know add the add the spices and then you hang it up in a dryer. And then after it comes out the the dryer, then you slice it. And so you get sort of almost like a um, sort of like prosciutto, almost like cured meat, as opposed to dried individual pieces that lose their sort of uh, juiciness or sort of moisture. You know, and so I, I actually prefer the my favorite product is the slab, where you slice it fresh. Mm. Essentially, when you when you want to eat it, you, you slice it fresh, and it's almost like those uh, those legs of ham in, in Spain, where they're just hanging in the in the little restaurants there, <laughs> yeah. and, and when you want some, they slice it fresh for you. It just sort of preserves it. But um, but obviously, it's sort of the, we have a few different products, um, and so Biltong comes in many shapes and sort of shapes and forms and sizes. Um, but, but it's generally air dried. Um, and there's also like in South Africa, there's not like, there's not, you know, 50 different flavors and teriyaki and all these different flavors. There's usually sort of a traditional flavor, uh, where coriander is the sort of predominant flavor. Kind of like prosciutto. You don't have 25 mm-hmm. different flavors of prosciutto, right? And so, you know, you might get, have a spicy one in South Africa. Um, the variation is often in the form. You know, you'll get sort of longer, sort of uh, crispier pieces or, you know, or shaved pieces. But it's usually the same sort of flavor and seasoning. You just get a different sort of texture or form. Um, and then we do the dry horse also, which is kind of like a Slim Jim, but uh, but good. <laughs> That's actually a good ingredient. Uh, good. It's like South Africa's signature sausage is, is called Buravors. And so dry horse is essentially dried Buravors. And so those are really awesome. I love those also. Once I open a bag, I just can't stop eating that stuff. Um, I don't know if I gave enough enough detail on this stuff. I mean, I can talk about Biltong for days. One of the other things that they often use different in South Africa, they, you know, these different types of, of meat. So there's, you know, there's all these different African sort of gazelle, springbok and blessbok. And, you know, there's all these different types of, of sort of uh, antelope. That sort of uh, that they can make that they make biltong out of, but we generally just stuck to the the beef biltong. You know, we found the sort of the hidden gem that had the really good stuff, and then we just ate tons of this growing up. So, you know, biltong is sort of um, it's like this passion that sort of brings back these memories and family connection, and uh, you know, getting together family, watching rugby and, and eating freshly sliced biltong, watching sports games. I remember watching with my uncle. Um, who I'll relate to a story if I want to talk about, you know, uh, going to Dallas Cowboys game with that uncle, um, you know, and so, so it just brings out all, all these great memories and, and sort of uh, nostalgia. And so I wanted to actually create this sort of here in America and share this with Americans. You know, mm-hmm. this is this awesome product, which many are unfamiliar with. Um, and, and I want to make the best stuff you can make and also generate these sort of experiences and the sort of togetherness. Now, I'm curious, how long from when you said, hey, I'm going to try to create this for my own company until you, you, you felt good enough about your product to, to um, put it out there in the marketplace? Well, that was the thing. I, I, went, I would go back to South Africa um, to visit my parents who still live there. And so my dad came up with his own recipe um, and, and you know, started making his own like, awesome biltong. And so I came home with, with a sort of countertop, built on machine and some bags of spice and started making it at home 
and just made a really awesome recipe, just copied his recipe. And so I would make it in really small batches at home. And that was in about, I'm trying to think about when that was. That was probably in, I don't know, 2010, 2011, somewhere around then. Um, I think I'd just taken my wife uh, to South Africa, my, my soon-to-be wife uh, uh, back to South Africa and brought back that stuff with me. And so I was sort of tinkering with, uh, with it for a while since, you know, it's about, around about 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, it actually made a bigger machine because however much I made in this little unit, it just went so quickly. I'd share it with friends and family. And so I went to Ikea and bought a, bought a, a clear, like, plastic tub, one of those huge sort of, you know, storage tubs. Uh, I, I bought a few you know, light bulbs and computer fans and then basically worked with a buddy of mine and just cut some holes in this thing. And, you know, a lot of South Africans make these in America. They make their own sort of uh, built-on box. Not super complicated, just like a dehydrator. And so then I'd make, I just made it bigger than the one I had by copying the same sort of design. And so then, you know, however much I made, it would just go so quickly. And then one day my dad's like, hey, should I just send you one of these big industrial units? I found a big industrial unit that the butchers in South Africa generally have, um, which could make like 220 pounds at a time. And so he shipped that over. I think that came to me, I think in about 2016 or 2017. And so it was then that I officially registered the business and I'd make it in my garage and sell it to guys at, at work. But it wasn't exactly legal, you know, and it wasn't, wasn't really trying to make a ton of money. I was like losing money, you know, but, but I was just, it was more about getting, getting people to get, sort of get excited about the product because I was excited about the product. Um, and then finally put the bullet in, uh, when was it? So 2020 um, or 2021 last year, to, to sort of really try to sort of crank it up a notch. I found someone who was certified with a certified plant to really make it for me um, the way I wanted it. Um, it took about a year going back and forth with this guy to really get him to make it the way I wanted it, where I was really happy. Um, he makes it for a lot of the other private label, for the, the, the known uh, built-on companies. Yeah, but it, it sort of, I really wanted it a certain way. Um, and then so working with him for about a year and then we finally launched the website last year, um, in July, I think it was July 1st. So we were approaching a year since we, since we officially launched the website. Um, and things have been going, going good. Uh, we can always do more and, uh, but I think we, we got off to a good start. Wow. That, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, really like at the level that you're at, you really just started about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I, I was working. I was working at SpaceX, so I was like, you know, slammed working my working my butt off there. Wife and two little babies. Yeah, we had kids. My my kids were like eighteen months apart. wasn't wasn't planned to be that way, but we had two little babies at the you know really yeah. close in age. And uh, so it took time and time. I wanted to do it all by myself, and it just it just wasn't working. I just couldn't do it all. So that's that's where I sort of you know had to sort of make some decisions and and. Um, and yeah, but still, you know, so, uh, still just trying to, trying to figure out how to really grow this thing properly and really get real, uh, sort of distribution across, across all of the U S. Well, one of the things that I like that you just kind of casually threw out there is that you were just working at SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that too. So you are, what work, the hell is that? you're working on the rockets that, that, that people are developing to send people to space. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I was there for nine and a half years. Um, wow! You know, just just actually left there in February, um, and so so yeah, so definitely still worked on a ton and and worked on a lot of stuff. And there's 
many of you sort of might know, but Texas is going to be the, you know, it's going to hopefully be the future of, of sort of uh, space travel. That's where we're developing Starbase in uh, Brownsville, uh, which is hopefully going to be the place where they uh, launch astronauts from to go to Mars. So a lot of cool stuff going to happen in Texas in the next uh, in the next few years. And so although I left SpaceX, I'll always be a space an X always be branded on my heart. I, you know, I always love love the place. But have you left some biltong and some rockets to make sure it gets shot into space? <laughs> hey, I was trying to figure out working with someone. I was telling you, how do we be the first brand, the first biltong brand in space? That'd be kind of yeah. awesome. <laughs> is that would you go to space? Would would you? Is that something that you would want to do if you were had the funds and were able to get on one of those rockets? Would you want to do that? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> really, you wouldn't. There's no, no way. You know, I would like to maybe go for one of these sort of like trips up there. You know, go for go see what it's like to see the Earth from above and float around in microgravity. But uh, I don't know. I think after an hour or two, being sort of confined in this little box in this mm. little sort of capsule would be a little bit too uh, claustrophobic, you know. Because those guys, I mean, they go there for, you know, for a long time. You know, some of these um, the Inspiration Four mission. I can't remember exactly how long they were they were up there. I think it was a week, you know, floating around in this in this tiny little capsule. Sort of, uh, yeah. I'm sure it was awesome, but it takes a certain type of person. I prefer life on Earth. You know, that's that's my philosophy. I, I <laughs> that's a good I'm philosophy. the one who want to enjoy life on Earth to, uh, to the max. Man, I think it'd be badass to go to space, but like you're saying, like I wouldn't want to be in that. Like I wouldn't want to go once the technology is better to where. You, you, like if we ever get to the point where we have like something that's an actual space station where a, a civilization could live on it, where you actually have like generated gravity and whatnot, and you're not just confined yeah. to a tiny little space. Like once they get to that point, being in space might be really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's cool, but I think it's sort of uh, the compromises, the sacrifices you have to make, you know. And so some people, it's, it's not for everyone, um, you know. But I'm sure, I'm sure it would be really cool to to plan a rocket like the most thrilling roller coaster ever, mm. you know, like the the G forces and the thrill of the ride. Um, but there's also obviously the risk, you know. There's a there's a massive risk with the uh, with with space travel, you know. Despite SpaceX being, you know, making it look easy. It's not easy. You know, you see just how many other companies have, and governments have been unable to do the things SpaceX has done. Uh, it's, it's just a credit to them and how easy they've made it look. You know, the only, the only, the only uh, orbital reusable rocket ever, you know, and, and currently no one's even closed right now. Um, you know, Amazon does, uh, or, or Blue Origin does, sort of um, goes up and down. You know, it goes to altitude, but it doesn't go into orbit. It's a completely different game. You know, that, that rocket goes something like, you know, the first stage, which has come back, they've got the rocket monument in, um, at Hawthorne at the headquarters there. That thing went like 10,000 miles an hour. Like, it's impossible to fathom how fast this thing went, you know? Like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's incredible, man. How, how close are we with the technology that's being developed to actually being able to put people on Mars and, and send astronauts that far away in space? I mean... I personally think, I mean, I don't know, uh, SpaceX has got some really lofty goals. Um, I'm, I'm not, not sure. I mean, what yeah. they're trying to do is that um, SpaceX is developing Starship. And that's the big thing they're building and sort of going to launch from, from Brownsville. They've, they've called it Starbase there. Um, 
but they're using the same architecture. They got the, the, the contract from NASA to, for the, I think it's called the human, human landing system to go to the moon. So that's the Artemis program is the whole thing of, of sending humans back to, to the moon as a sort of stepping stone to learn a whole bunch of stuff to then figure out how, how do we go to Mars. And so they're developing the sort of the, the rocket and the spacecraft to make it there. But there's a lot of complications with obviously with the, envi- like the environmental control system and how they actually keep people alive on this on the spacecraft. So that's something that I think is they've learned a lot from, from the Dragon uh, program. But there's going to, there's a lot of work to be done on that. So, so yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting. Uh, interesting yeah, man, I, I find this type of stuff fascinating. <laughs> personally, yeah, I also do. You know, I def- definitely do. Um, you know, so it was it was a bit bittersweet leaving SpaceX, but you know, as I said, I'll always be a fan. But sort of, uh, I've just decided to try to take my career in a different direction. Yeah. Ideally, blowing up Bruce Biltong to sort of uh, to be everywhere and dominate. Now, um, now what's turn it into a huge business? What's a day like as the czar of Bruce Biltong? Oh, I don't, I don't know if we want to get into that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, do you spend your day perfecting the recipe? Do you spend your day marketing? Do you spend your day trying to get it into more places? How do you spend your day? Yeah, with well, this. Well, frankly, this is, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, you know, it's whether to share this or not, but this is kind of, this is a side hustle for me. I'm trying to work another full-time gig, you know, to pay the bills while I'm really trying to get this off the ground. So I'm juggling, you know, and also my family. So do a bit of, you know, daddy daycare, you know, pickups, drop off with kids, you know, working, working full-time sort of uh, complicated engineering related sort of job. And, um, you know, and then uh, just trying to just get this going in, in, in the sort of spare hours, um, you know, and, and sort of just trying to spend more and more time on the right actions to really grow this built on uh, business properly. And so, like, I, I have a lot of faith in it, um, you know, uh, and I, I'm, I think we've got a great product and good brand and, and cool story. Um, but the, the, the financial thing is, is what we're really trying to figure out, you know. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, you know, it's a, I'm an engineer trying to figure out how to, how to grow a, a ideally multi-million dollar, billion dollar business. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting sort of journey. Yeah. yeah Learning I mean, as I go. It, 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 you definitely have a great product. I mean, Jacques and I both really love it. And I, and I know a lot of our listeners that have had just great feedback from it and, and whatnot as well. I mean, it's something that, I mean, I always like having a bag around because it's such an incredible snack. If nothing else, I mean, it makes like a really nice it's filling, it's healthy. It's just, I don't know, man, however you did it I, to me and not that I've ever had built on before we started working <laughs> with you, but that was one of those things. Like when we first tried it, I was like, Holy crap. Like I told Jacques, I got mine before he got his, I was like, dude, this is like, this is really, really good. It, like, I don't know how you, once you eat built on, like when you get bruised built on, I don't know how you can eat beef jerky again. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's the thing. And frankly, a lot of the other built on businesses here, you know, and they, they kind of knock jerky, which, which, you know, I, I like I like jerky. I like the run. I like good jerky. You know, just like in South Africa, there's a lot of crap built on. You know, and so a lot of the the built on brands here, they sort of say, you know, it's not jerky, jerky junk. But then it sort of it, it still doesn't really. You know, I, I haven't really found 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 another brand that I that I really like to be honest, in terms of the the off the shelf uh, built on here. And so I was super passionate about the product. Like, let's create something like. 
you know, these big companies are trying to pitch Biltong, but I think they're giving it a bad name. This is not our, this is not the good stuff, you know? So that was my, my whole passion was like, let's get the good stuff into as many people's hands as possible because they've been missing out. You know, when you go to the, the airport and you've got a, like, even at the airport, I was just traveling, you know, and there's, there's sort of, there's, there's sometimes a, I don't know, a shortage of good snacks. Even like some of those jerkies there, you know, I'll like just take a guess. Like, is this one going to be better? And just take whatever, one off the shelf and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've never had one that it's like, wow, this is awesome. You know, so I think there's, personally think there's a need uh, for, for a sort of product like this, um, you know, and I sort of, and, and as you can hear, sort of, I'm passionate about it and I want to create that sense of like you eat it. You're like, oh my God, this is the best shit ever. <laughs> it's true, man. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's one of those things like what, like now I just like having it in my house all the time. It's become like one of my regular go-to snacks. Yeah. Yeah. I kept to hold myself back. I'm like, wait, how much bullets have I had? <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> like last night we were watching Ozark and I just kept on going down to his pause it like three times to go down and just hack off a few more pieces of the slab. You know, I cut a little few chunks off of there, yeah. come upstairs, eat it. All right, babe, pause. I need more. Go downstairs. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, man, before we let you go, like we have to get into this because I thought this was really interesting. I mean, obviously you're from South Africa and when we were texting, you told me that the the first pro football game you ever went to was a Cowboys game in, what was it, 1998 with like 97, 97 97 at the end of like Smith and and Troy Aikman and all that. And I was telling Jacques about that because he covered the Cowboys for years and years. And and, I mean, there's a hundred percent chance that Jacques was also at that game which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, man, because 97 was was the end of the era. That was the year that they started fast, like 3-1 and one or something, and they lost like five in a row to end the season, 6-10, and 10, and missed the playoffs. Yeah. And that was that was the end of the end of an era right there. Yeah, so the game was against the Giants, um, and uh, I think the Cowboys already knew that they weren't going to make it to the playoffs. Um, I knew nothing about football. Like, let's just start with that. I knew nothing about football. And so this was actually my first trip to America. Uh, my parents bought my brother and I, he's a year older than me. And we did some of the, you know, we went to, went to New York city and we went to Orlando to go to Disneyland. And then, um, I've got a cousin who actually still lives in, in Dallas. She actually owns uh, two restaurants there. One, one's called Lekka and the other one's called the Irishman. Um, and so we went to visit visit her, and my uncle was there at the time, the one that I referenced with, with the sort of with watching rugby with. And so my dad, my brother, uh, my uncle, and like a couple guys there, I think it was my wife, uh, sorry, my cousin's husband and his friend. And we all loaded up into his like little, I think it was a, a Chevette, it was a little little car. We drove to the stadium. I think because uh, because the Cowboys weren't doing so good, like you could get tickets relatively easily. So we got tickets from the uh, from a scalper there, and then we went and, and watched the game there. You know, and it was sort of that was my first American football game I'd ever seen. And so you know, it was unfortunate that uh, Cowboys didn't do so good. Um, but it was funny, like since then, you know, I, I was kind of a. Uh, you know, if someone said, hey, what, what American football team do you like or do you support? I'd be like, yeah, let's Cowboys, you know. I was just sort of a Cowboys fan <laughs> awesome. by sort of proximity or, you know, by association. God, it's crazy, uh, man. That, that was yeah. actually the last game of the season in 1997 on December 21st with the Giants Whoa. in Dallas, and they lost 20-7 to to the Giants. 
and and I don't know if you'll remember this, Steve, but but Jacques, you definitely remember these names. Troy Aikman started the game, was replaced by Jason Garrett. Wade Wilson also played in that game. That means there was no – I mean, that means you had no chance. Troy Aikman, 6 out of 16 for 73 yards with an interception. Yeah, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Emmett Smith didn't play – uh, let me see. I think he played. I think no, he, he played. He no, played. no, he played. He played 13 like, for 40. They, just, they kept on rushing the ball, and like it kept on doing the same thing over and over again. That's what like we were watching. You know, we're we're rugby fans. We're like, why do they keep doing the same thing over and over and not making any yards? Like, that's awesome. Try something different. You know, like so. Michael uh, Michael Irvin caught two for 13. Uh, yeah, Sherman Irvin. Williams, who spent some time in an Alabama prison, uh, he carried <laughs> six for 39. that's so crazy man that's wild that that was your first ever game and it it was that final game of that season you know and and that was really when they start I think we all realized like oh this is it's over like the end is is here and this is going to be rough moving forward (laughs) yeah 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 it was was definitely interesting you know like we sort of knew it like you know we, we knew it by sort of uh just by hearing what people were saying there, you know, like just kind of what you guys are saying, you know, like, oh man, these guys are, you know, it's the end of an era, you know, it's sort of, they haven't been doing great. Um, but it was a great experience, you know, it was awesome to be there. My first encounter with Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. <laughs> I bet that was fun. <laughs> Everybody likes the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders everywhere you go. Yeah. What's funny is that so I've got a Samsung TV and so it's a smart TV and it's got its like own channels. And so for some reason, it sort of, it doesn't remain on like the streaming service. You just sort of finish watching like Netflix or whatever. So every, so every time I turn on this TV, for some reason, it's stuck on the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders channel. And so that's yeah. like re- that reality show. And so... <laughs> Pretty funny. Every time we turn on the TV, it's Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. And my little girls, they're like watching. And we're like, don't watch this. These, these, these judges are brutal to these ladies. You know, like, let's get Netflix on. But uh, no, but it's, it's definitely a, an amazing establishment and sort of what the, just the sort of legacy I think that they've created and the sort of high standard that they've set. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, and I think they don't, they don't necessarily get the credit they deserve for the level of effort that goes into being. Uh, performers at that level. Man, you know, that's, so the really yeah. amazing, that's the truth. That's the truth. Really amazing organization and the sort of standards that they've set and sort of uh, the legacy they've created. Yeah. Well, Steve, can't thank you enough, man. Really appreciate your time. Really enjoy the conversation as always. I mean, it, it's great. We love the Bruce Bill Tong and, and we really have always appreciated your support and, and can't thank you enough. Absolutely. No, thank you, guys, and, and thanks again to to all of your listeners. Um, you know, uh, definitely appreciate you guys. Um, you guys have got a great great thing going there, also. Um, and uh, no, I wish you guys continued success. I'm always happy to do this again. You know, I think we got lots of stuff to talk about. We do. So we do. We'll, we'll whenever to... you want to have me, I'll, I'm here. All right, man. We will do it again. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. All right. All thanks, the best, Steve. guys. Thank all you. Right. And there he is, Steve Isaacs of Bruce Built. And I love that dude, man. He's just I, he's just such a positive and just fun guy. He's a passionate dude. He man. is a you know what? That's that's the way to describe him. He's passionate and he's he's got this dream and he believes in it and the product's good. And I just thought everybody would enjoy hearing some different things about Steve, who who's one of our sponsors with Bruce Biltong. And if you haven't tried it, try it. He supports us and we appreciate it a lot. It's BruceBiltong.com. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. 
Use the promo code JAM15, J-A-M-15, and you get 15% off your order at checkout. You can't beat that. You really cannot beat that. Nope, not with a baseball bat. No, not with the baseball bat at all. But I just wanted to have him back on because I really enjoyed that first conversation, and, and I think that everybody enjoyed that one as well. Let's also, if we may, tell you about Freeway Tire Shop and JR and his crew that are getting it done, man. If, if Everybody is always looking for the mechanic you can trust. As Jacques tells you, and I think we all have that feeling of hesitancy a lot of the times, or we'll try different mechanics hoping that we found one. We found them for you. We did the work. Hell, Jacques is doing a lot of the work making sure that JR is, is keeping everything on the up and up, and, and he will get you set up, man. You cannot get it better than Freeway Tire Shop. Nah, bruh. And you know why? It's because you can trust them, man. I am not unlike a lot of people. I don't know much about a car other than uh, how to check the oil and how to put gas in it and how to check the tires. I ain't fixing cars. I didn't grow up around doing that, so I don't know how to do it. Judge me if you want. That's why I got a mechanic I can trust, so I don't have to do it, bro. That's just me, man. But if you're not a person who, who knows how to put a carburetor together, go, go holler at JR next time you, your car's got an issue because you can trust him to diagnose the issue first and foremost. You can trust him to use quality parts, which keeps your car running longer and better. You can trust him to charge you a fair price, bro. He's going to charge you a fair price. Yes, I get charged. Ain't nothing free over there. I get charged, but I get charged a price I don't mind paying for the work that he does. And then finally, bro, uh, he stands behind his work, so if there's any issue, you can bring it back, and, and he'll get it done. He wants you happy. He's committed to his customers. He learned about customer service when he was at Home Depot in a management program. That's my dude. That's my boy. Go take your, sh- your cars to him, and you'll be glad that you did. You can thank me later. No worries. Indeed. Just north of downtown Dallas, my friends, it's Freeway Tire Shop. Schedule your appointment. Request a quote online at freewaytireshop.com. So I wanted to take a trip around the block, if you don't mind. Because I've got a couple little things that I'd like to throw out for everybody. I will be heading to Dallas this weekend. We are leaving, many of you listening to this on Friday, I may be on 20, headed west towards (laughs) Dallas while you're listening to this. Because as soon as my radio show wraps up tomorrow, we're jumping in the car and driving. By the time we get to my parents' house, it'll probably be close to 1 a.m. It's about a 10-hour drive because we'll have to stop a couple of times and all that. But I'm excited because it, we did not know this when we planned this weekend. Like, really, the reason why we're coming this weekend and not Father's Day weekend is because I still use my family doctor in Rockwall who knows my family, knows my history, knows everything, and I don't have to go through explaining everything and all that again. And so I, because of really my blood thinners and stuff, I like staying with him. And he's cool to work with me, even though I, I live in another state now. But he could, he is taking like three weeks off in June. And so like one of the last days that he could do my annual physical was, was next Monday. And I was like, well, I really wanted to come the next week, but he's going to be out of the state or on vacation or whatever. So I was like, well, we'll just go a week early. I can knock out my physical on Monday. And then we find out that two of our favorite breweries in the area are celebrating their anniversaries this weekend. Oh, wow. Three Nations Brewing right there in Carrollton is having their seventh anniversary party. And then I am stoked for this one because we will definitely, we're going to go to Three Nations. I think, man, I've been going to Three Nations, I think, ever since their second anniversary party. And the fact that we just happen to be in town when they're having it this year is pretty cool. And then Siren Rock Brewing, Rockwall's only current brewery. Well, Hemisphere is still there, I guess. But it's a beautiful facility. I've gotten to be good friends with them and their head brewer. They are celebrating their one-year anniversary on Saturday. 
And it just happens to be the weekend that I'm going to be in Rockwall, which is awesome. And, and I'm, I'm excited for those guys. And the fact that they've, they've had such a phenomenal first year is really, really cool. And I'll be going to both of those things. Well, now, how cool is that, bro? Yeah, so I'm excited. And, you know, we won't be able to stay long. We'll probably swing by Three Nations and just say hello to everybody and, and congrats and then swing back out to Siren Rock. And I'm also very excited because my youngest brother, Mark, he and his wife, they had a daughter who is now like five weeks old. I have not met her yet, and I'll get to meet my niece for the first time in person this weekend. Hey, how about that? So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to holding little Riley Rose and saying, hello there, little Riley Rose. I'm your uncle. <laughs> and Not, she'll say, hi, Uncle Matt. Nice to meet you. Yeah, she'll say, that's <laughs> probably what she'll say, something like that. But it'll be great, and I'm excited about that because I've never, you know, I've, I've, I've never been an uncle. I've been a dad, and, and the fact that I finally get to meet my niece, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I also came across this article, and I thought, how fitting, because for a while, the largest Bucky's in the country, it had, it, they had built it, or I can't remember if it's built or if it's being built, and it's not in the state of Texas. It was going to be in Tennessee. Well, Bucky's has righted that wrong, and they announced today that yes. the largest Bucky's ever will be built in Luling. It'll be built next to a current Bucky store. They will combine the two. It wow. will become the largest Bucky's on the planet. It will be more than 75,000 square feet. 75,000 square feet, hey? That's a lot of uh that's a lot of ghost uh jerky ain't that what i bought you last year ghost pepper jerky. yeah that's that's what you bought and well no that was while we were still doing radio because i tried it now just right. for comparison's sake the smallest costco that exists is eighty thousand square feet okay that's the smallest one all right well so like a typical costco they're building a bucky's about the size of a typical costco damn well, it's going to be seventy five thousand square feet it will have 120 fuel pumps Good Lord. I mean, my God, this is going to be incredible. <laughs> now, what's interesting is the, the one in Luling was the first ever family travel center, the first ever Bucky's constructed in 2003. So now this one will open about 20 years later because it probably won't be ready until 2023. And it's going to be attached to the original one. And they're just going to make a massive ass Bucky's. You know, you can hang out in Bucky's for a while, bro. I guess you can hang out that one for more than a while. Man, I guess. I mean, that is, I mean, my guy, a Bucky's the size of a freaking Costco? That's incredible to me. Don't cash, don't spend all your money up in there. Don't spend all your check from this week up in there. Yeah, you you, you don't want to spend everything. Because you, you, you can walk around and buy all kinds of different, you know, the beaver nuggets. And, you know, we get a lot of those types of things, which I, I, I always enjoy trying those. And I think it's a lot of fun, man. A lot, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun. Back. Hold something back, brother. Yeah, you got you to gotta be careful with that. And the other thing that I wanted to get into, and this is affecting a couple of good friends of mine, is, and I don't think people realize, maybe you do, because you're in, in the DFW area, and maybe some other people that are there and, and rent realize this as well, but do you realize that the cost of rent, Dallas-Fort Worth has had the biggest jump percentage-wise year over year the rent this year in May of 2022 was up 18% over what the average cost of rent was one year ago in DFW. Does it have an average cost? The average cost is now right at about $1,500. Uh, 
And that's for the DFW area. In Dallas, it is slightly more than that. In Fort Worth, it is slightly less than that. But the average cost is just a shade under $1,500 average rent in DFW. That's about right. And, you know, what's always amazing about that is um, if you've been in a if you've got a house and say you've been there 10 years, five years, 10 years, settle on 10 years, maybe and maybe your house is 33,000 square feet. You're paying probably twenty one, twenty two hundred in rent. You can easily, without trying hard, find an apartment if you want any kinds of bells and whistles, and that thing will cost you nineteen hundred, bro. And you're sitting up there going, "I'm paying," because I got some friends who are in this situation. Like I'm paying nineteen hundred for seven hundred and fifty square feet, and I know somebody who's got a house. With 3,000 square feet paying, you know, $2,000, more, getting equity and all that stuff. And it's just crazy when you think about it, bro. It is. It, it's extremely crazy. And, and one of my friends was like, dude, I just got a renew, renewal notice for my lease, and they're raising the price of my apartment 20%. And he's like, I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for this. And, and you know, the, those are real things that people, and, and part of it is you, ha, you have to decide what, okay, if I can't afford this, what is the cost? How much will it cost me to move if I go to a new place? And the reality of it is these apartments, like you can go to them and say, hey, you know, I, I've been here for a few years. I've been a good tenant. Can we work on this? And in a lot of cases, I'm like, nope, because if you don't want it, guess what? There's a line out the door of people waiting to get in here. Because right now, they, they just set a record low for vacancy in DFW apartment rentals. Is that right? It's something See, like right at, I think it's like 1.8% vacancy. Well, that's probably because the housing thing is booming. Now people can't afford to buy a house. Yeah, well, and, and the reality of it is so many people are moving to the DFW area that the demand for apartments is outweighing, like by far, the available. They cannot build apartments fast enough right now for the amount of people that are looking for apartments. Yeah, and so it's a supply and demand thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there for people. All right, I don't do this often, but I'm going to throw it out there for people. This is the best advice I can give you. Pay yourself first. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like, starting with your next paycheck, don't tell me about how many bills you've got that I can't afford. No, take 10% at a minimum and pay yourself first in a savings account. You can always pay your cell phone bill late or some other bill late if you have to. You can go out one less time a month if you have, whatever. Pay yourself first. And do that for a few months and watch that money grow so that you can have enough of a savings account to create some options for yourself over a period of time. If you just did that for a year, you'd be shocked at how much money you could save and you really wouldn't miss it. And then when you have a situation like this, because all of us go through them at some point, uh, dog, this ain't no different, I promise you, because there's something in the paper a couple weeks ago, people are fighting their appraisal of their house because that affects your taxes. And people are like, you just said my house is, the same house I lived in last year, you said it was worth, let's pick a number, Matt, 300,000. This year, you're saying that exact same house is worth 400,000, which means I gotta pay taxes on the 400, not the 300. And when you do all the math, maybe your mortgage goes from that 2100 we're talking about to 2375, and you're like, well, it's only $275. That's a lot, bro. You know what I mean? So my advice is 
Don't tell me why you can't. Just take 10% off your top, pay it, no different than how you tithe, if you tithe, and put that in a nest egg somewhere so that a year from now, when this thing, because this thing ain't changing no time soon. No, it's only going to get worse, most likely. And it doesn't matter whether you got a house or an apartment. Because um, I've got friends in apartments. I live in a house. I see what's what's going on. And um, you can thank me later, but do that. And th- it'll help you absorb whatever you have to do, whatever decision you have to make a year from now. That's exactly right. That's, I think, phenomenal advice because the rent's going to continue to go up. DFW is going to continue to grow. And, and you know, you, you look at Austin, like my brother will tell you, Austin has become the most expensive place in the country outside of New York City to live in. That's unbelievable. Bro. It is, but because of the demand of people coming there, it all the housing, the apartments. I have a buddy in Austin who just told us. Let, let me make sure that that's exactly what he said. But he said that that they they rent a house and they are anticipating that they're going to raise their rent when their leases due here this summer by six hundred dollars a month. Ooh, wow. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, so, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about that, but that's kind of like in talking to their landlords, like like it's just the level of where Austin is at right now that, the, that it, it's sky high expensive to live in Austin. And Dallas and Houston and places like that, as more and more people move and they don't have the places to live, it's just going to, everything's going way up, man. It's People are going to, and, and we've seen this. I mean, there's, there's multiple stories of how families are just living together now. And it'll be like like you're you're living with your parents and you're all splitting a house and your kids are living with you or friends. Like I was reading a story the other day. It wasn't in the Dallas Morning News. It might have been like Time or, or the New York Times where one of the things that's happening now is a lot of couples, like married couples that don't have kids are starting to live together because they can't afford to live on their own. And that goes back to my original point. Yeah. You, you know, it's like... Um, Matt will laugh when I say it. it's like being pregnant or having a baby and there's no convenient time to do it. So don't tell me why you can't start saving, but trust me, just start saving. And a year from now, uh, that money, you'll look over there and go, oh, my God, how did I get seven thousand dollars over there? How did I get, you know, eighty five hundred, right. whatever, that, whatever that number is. But then when you get that increased, they say your escrows increase or your mortgage is increased or your rent's going up. At least you'll have some options about how to deal with it because uh, you've planned ahead. That's a good, good, good advice. It's also good advice to spread the word about the Jam Session podcast. Keep telling your friends, man, because we're growing this thing together. We appreciate all of you. And we will be talking to you again soon. I'm going to be traveling a lot, so we may miss a day or two next week. We'll have to talk about that and see, but don't freak out if, if there's a podcast missing next week because being back and forth and trying to travel, we'll figure some things out. But we will talk to you again very soon here, here on the Jam Session Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.